Hey everybody, welcome back to The Producers. Just want to start off by saying sorry we missed last week. We had a cancellation and it just kind of was too short notice to try to get something rushed. So I just decided to not release, not put any pressure on myself, which is kind of the point of the show, I guess. Um, But we are back this week and we are coming back strong to make up for it. Um, We have my new friend, Paul. We take 301 together. Um, Paul is... uh, just like the coolest person um he's so just after doing improv with him a couple times and just having you know a couple conversations with him um he seems so cool and uh i am actually recording the intro before the episode which is a rarity um so i don't have anything nice to say about um the hour we spent um but you can check him out on instagram motion mixology and on twitter pictures and sound i hope he's okay with me sharing those he should be because he has a website uh paulcostin.com you can just google paul costin all these links are available in the description um a few announcements uh tiny bladders um i guess i haven't updated y'all i didn't do it last time for whatever reason Uh, we're doing pretty well we have um we have a little run of shows here, just a little run. Um, we're in the refinery at 8 o'clock at the Coalition Theater um, on s- Sunday nights um, for uh, like eight more weeks, I think. I think we have eight weeks um, of slots, so that's fun. Um, come out and check us out. Um, I'll plug the Coalition in a hot second, but I'm also going to be on Casual Sets. Um, I believe it is the 23rd of February. I'm not 100% sure. I probably should have gotten the dates. Um down before I started recording the intro. Um, Let me just pull it up on my calendar. It should be the 24th, actually. It's a Saturday. Saturday, February. You can check out when it and other shows are at the Coalition Theater at rvacomedy.com and uh, at rvacomedy on uh, Instagram. I don't know if they're on Twitter. They're on social media, and they're really funny. Um, Hashtag rvacomedy for all your rvacomedy posts. Um, And, of course, at Producers Cast. Um... Our Twitter's dead. I haven't posted on Twitter because, fuck, man, I just don't use Twitter anymore. Um, it's all about that Insta game. Um, oh, also check out orbitalmusicpark.com. Big friends of the show. I hope to have them on soon. Um, wonderful service. They're going to have another one coming up soon, so make sure you sign up and have fun playing some music with some people you don't know. It's it's a really, really, really wonderful experience. I can't even begin to tell you. Um but yeah, so uh, at producercast.com, producercast.gmail.com. Yeah, you know, you guys know it all. Um, let's just get right into Paul. creativity okay um because i've always wanted to be a creative person mm-hmm. and i you don't have to use the pillow if you don't want to just for the record but i'm beyond enough do it um so creativity mostly um and so it's, it's basically started i got went through this big breakup and i realized i wasn't doing the things i wanted to do so i started doing the music improv podcast mm. um 
So I just came up with the idea of it used to be used to be a two hour show. Uh-huh. Um talk about whatever the person's into creatively, um, photography, painting, a lot of improv, because they have a lot of people from the theater mm-hmm. on the show. Um, and then I would talk about like relationships and stuff. However, I kind of realized after doing 20-something episodes that mm-hmm. people weren't as vulnerable or wanting to be as vulnerable as I was. So I trimmed the format down to an hour. Okay. Um, and it's like, I don't know, I've only done one episode, it was an hour, and it felt wrong, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just rolling with it for at least another 20. So, uh, right. Well, let me turn this off. Uh, so oh, you're turning it my... off? That's yeah, so, of course. That's so nice. Well, I mean, that's, the, that's, I don't know, like, there's this thing, just knowing that it's on is almost like a burden. I'm going to turn mine off, too. I, I I don't turn my phone off. It's so weird. Oh, I, I don't know how to turn my phone off. <laughs> it never turns off. It's it's on the entire time. You just gotta wait until the battery runs out. Well, I will. I will turn it. Okay, that's as off as it can be. All right, sweet. Um, thank you again for doing this so last minute. Yeah, absolutely. I had a, a series of cancellations that I was just like, I have not. I haven't really said anything in like two weeks. Um, well, I'm honored. <laughs> really? Yes. That's so nice. Um. It was it was so funny too because it's like, I uh, I started basically the idea came from listening to um, Pete Holmes. He has a podcast. I love his show. His show is amazing. Yes, that's the show I wanted to emulate. Mm. They're so vulnerable on that show. Right. Oh my gosh, it felt so good to do that. And there was a str- anyway. Um, well, well, you can ask me anything. <laughs> great. Hey, <laughs> and I don't mind going over. Um, I don't know how much time you have, but um, so yeah, I did. <sighs> The thing is, is I, again, I try to approach it like him. Mm-hmm. I do no research. We don't do any editing. It's mm-hmm. just rolling um, <laughs> the whole time. So, like, I did, so I did a little bit of research because I was, like, mm-hmm. getting the episode prepared. And so, like, um, you have the market cornered on a lot of, on, on, your, on your full name as a Google search. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's number one or number two. You, you have, like, the top three pictures, your websites. <laughs> um, it's not hard to find any of your social media, which um, I thought was really cool because, I mean, I have a unique name, so, like, yeah, it's really easy when no one else has your name. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're into a lot of stuff based on what I've seen. Yeah. Um, what's, your, what's your favorite? What's the thing you, like, to talk about the most? Currently, um... I've been doing a lot of navel gazing, like navel gazing. Navel gazing, not not literal navel gazing, but are we talking? Are we talking um, military ships or belly buttons? <laughs> belly buttons. <laughs> um, although I am from Virginia Beach, so <laughs> a sailor. Um, no, but the uh, the thing that that that's currently fascinating me is um, how narrative is our identity, mm-hmm. and you can break down and analyze pretty much anything. Based on either their personal narrative or the narrative of how they got to a certain or how we all got to a certain place, and that um, explains and can explain so much. Interesting. And, okay. Uh, um, so kind of like having the show for me was like based off of this other thing, my narrative. Yeah. Interesting. So go, go on. Just, yeah. Just well, I mean, it's um. Can we close that curtain just a little bit? Yeah. Awesome. Now I can see. Um, no, the, um, so as, as, um, just growing up, I was always, I like, I went to Christian schools, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it's like when you have a graduating class of 20, 
Every, everything's everything's a bell curve, you know? And mm -hmm. so if you've got a graduating class of 400, which is like your typical graduating class of Virginia Beach, mm -hmm. um, like even on the fringes of that bell curve, you have at least like 10 or 12 people that you can hang out with. And so for me, it was just me on the outside there. Mm -hmm. And um, so I spent a lot of time alone, and but it wasn't necessarily lonely time, but at the same time, a lot of people were doing things that I just didn't understand or didn't get, like how they interacted with each other or like, oh, all the kids just love to go and play basketball and I could give a fuck about that. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's one of those, I, I guess it's, um, so I came to, uh, like I really, really enjoy understanding things and figuring things out. Um, and when I don't understand something, it's kind of a source of stress for me. And so for the longest time, people were one of the things that I just really didn't understand. And um, so the, um, the idea that uh, people's stories uh, can explain a lot about their behavior is something that it feels right to me, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. And... Um, and also, like, there's the idea that your identity is the story that you tell yourself about yourself. Ooh, yep. And so, and it's not necessarily the truth, and it's not necessarily a historical account of what happened to you, but... How every, you interpreted it at the time. Precisely. And how, and how you interpret it now. Yeah, and, and things that are, like, I don't know, I've, I've, I've known people that, especially, like, in, in light of... Um, like how we're all talking about sexual harassment now. Mm -hmm. One of my close friends back in Austin, like I was talking to her and she's like, yeah, when I was a kid, um, you know, some guy just whipped his dick out and she's like, and I, and you know, just showed it to me and I thought it was weird and creepy, but it wasn't anything that I like categorized as something traumatic, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but obviously other people, contextualize that differently and so when something like that happens to them um when you choose to it's not a choice but like when you do look back on it as some formative experience or something that colors your view of men or people in power or someone that's older than you are like that's the thing that you pull out and then you um continue yeah, so it's like, so the things that happen to you, the things that become part of your identity are the things that you, that you, like, take out from time to time and analyze, and every time you, and there's this really cool phenomenon with memory, whenever you remember something, you take it out of long-term storage, and then you pull it back into working memory, and you re-experience what you, um, like, that memory all over again, and then you put it back. Which means, and this is kind of cool, so on Radio Lab they talked about this, there's a drug that you can give people, you can tell them to remember some experience, give them the drug that makes them put the memory into a working memory, and give them the drug and it makes them forget, and then so it's like it never happened. So you, you try to put the memory back and it doesn't work. Wow. Yeah. And so... Um, so we do that with all of our memories. So every time we think about some sort of interaction, the first time it happened, you know, like 
whether it's friends in high school or elementary school or interactions with teachers or like your experience of culture, you know, it's like the first time you saw a movie, it's like everyone has movies that they are, that are their favorite movies and their formative movies or books or, or poems or anything like that. And it becomes something formative. It's like, oh, the first time I saw Star Wars, I was blown away and I knew that, you know, X, Y, and Z. But that's probably not how that happens. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you, you see Star Wars one time, you're like, whoa. But no one experiences anything and immediately plans the trajectory of their entire life. So when you hear someone say, well, I saw Star Wars and I knew right then and there that I wanted to make movies just like that, <laughs> you know? And so, but I mean, not to say that that experience isn't genuine, but every time you think about it, you pull it out the memory and then you polish it off and then you put it back. And, and then, it weathers it a little bit and changes and warps it. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and as opposed to like here, the first time you experience it, you have this raw uncut diamond. And then when it becomes part of your identity, it becomes a diamond that we would like classify and recognize as a cut gem. So do you think in the idea of exploring this, um, you can, that, cause I, I, I think a lot about how that works with me and a lot of things that I think about are things that have negatively shaped me right. and I don't focus as much on the positive, which I think is fine, not necessarily fine, but like understandable. Mm -hmm. Um, is that something you think you can affect? Like, can, can I say like, I don't want this to define me anymore. I'm going to put this in longer term storage, something like that and pull out this good thing and say like, this is going to define me. And why is it so common for people to take the good things and not make them and like put brush them aside and focus on the bad. I think it has something to do with our evolution, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, they say, so there, <laughs> there's this other book I read where they, um, the authors did case studies of fortune 500 companies. And um, this doctor, she told all of the case participants to journal about their work experiences from day to day. It's like, don't really contextualize, just tell us what you're feeling and what happened in any given day. And it turns out that negative experiences, like a boss coming in and telling you you did a really shitty job or just any sort of negative experience, it takes three positive experiences to cancel out the effects of that one negative experience. You know, and so when we, when we, take something in our past that is negative, it's so much stronger because I think it's evolutionary. Interesting. Yeah, I've noticed that at work, I have, I have a tough boss. And mm -hmm. so, like, I've noticed that one bad thing is, like, that's, like, could be good. Fuck, man. But, like, the good things are just, like, well, I remember the bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, and you do. Because it, it hurts so much more. Like, when you, like, you remember when something hurts, but, but when something feels good, you want to try to replicate that experience, but it's not, I don't know, you, you, you put your hand on a hot eye once and you'll never do it again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like this reptile brain, I can't do that anymore. But seeking out good things and seeking out pleasure and not necessarily sexual pleasure, but anything that makes you feel good is a lot more of a, it's a bigger undertaking than avoiding pain. So... Interesting. That I mean that's that definitely is breaking down unconscious thought very well. How is that? How's that affected how you go about your existence? Um, radically. I uh, so I was so when I was twenty years old, uh, me and my girlfriend got pregnant. Well, she got pregnant, but I had a hand in it. I helped. Yeah, yeah. not a hand. Um, <laughs> 
had something in it. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so and and I really didn't really really didn't really I really didn't want to I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to do all that stuff, but how I was raised is like, if you do something like this and say, like, if you, if you, you know, if you get your girlfriend pregnant, you marry her. And that's one of those, just obviously it's this thing that, that, that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, my, my identity was based very much growing up on being a good person and so when I was a kid, it was, oh yeah, let's, let's, do things that authority would approve of. And then when it came to high school relationships, it was like, I had to be the good guy because a lot of guys out there were jerks. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I never really, and I, you know, there was this weird view of sex that I had of, of like, just learn that you learn that pleasure is not something that you should go after. And it's kind of, not necessarily evil, but it's definitely like, it's not noble. Mm-hmm. And so you get to this point, like in it, and it builds upon itself, you know, year after year. And you get to this point where you get your girlfriend pregnant and then you absolutely have to get married to her because there's no, no alternative. And she like, she's, she's a perfectly pleasant person. She is s- smart. She's driven. She's, um, a great mother. Like I've got two sons we were married for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's just not my person, you know? Mm -hmm. And so after about 10 years of, um, like a very vanilla marriage, like we never, we never hardly ever fought because we'll be, you know, for several different reasons. But after that, you know, I was like, I'm I'm sick of just surviving. And so being in a relationship like that for 10 years will tie you up in a lot of knots. And so when you're out on your own, it kind of forces you to examine. And untangle. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, you, like the, a metaphor that I've used before is building a clock, you know? So it's as you go, as you, as you grow up, you accumulate experiences that are like little clock pieces. And you both consciously and subconsciously take these pieces and you try to build a clock. You're like, I guess this is where this goes. There's no instructions. And you get to a certain point where your clock kind of tells time, but not really. And most people, most people are fine with looking at their watch and the watch says 530-ish, you know, Um, because it's really, really hard to take it apart, really examine all the pieces and find out where they're supposed to go. But I had a couple of experiences, like the woman that I dated right after I got my divorce was, um, she was a monster in no uncertain terms. Yeah. Like I've got a, I told a story about this at a, like a storytelling event one time. Um, basically over the course of three or four years, um, this person fabricated everything from like someone broke into my house and tried to assault me and that never happened. Or there's drama with my roommate and you know, you got to come rescue me to there's a piece of ceiling that fell down and hit me on my head and I had a concussion to she made up the deaths of five family members. She's like, my brother committed suicide. And then like three, four years later, I found out that he's still alive and everyone that she's told me has died is still alive. And so like this person really did a number on me. And so after something like that, you really gotta, you have to dig. Jesus. (laughs) I thought, I thought I had a monster, but like, whoa. Yeah. If, yeah, I can laugh about it now. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Which is part of you taking your clo- the clock apart, right? Being like, that was funny how I thought that piece went there. That <laughs> that doesn't make sense at all, right? Yeah, that, that that relates to me very hard. Obviously, I have not been married, and so I have not been divorced, and I have not been through anything as traumatic sounding as what you just described. Mm-hmm. But I look at other things, and it was like, I was, I had my own messed up clock, and it was like. I really didn't want to take it apart. But taking it apart was like the best thing you could have done. Yeah. And as long as you are, I feel like, because I feel like that is, I don't know, is that like a relationship metaphor? Or is that just a a metaphor for? Just a metaphor for existence, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I feel like if if you are okay with saying like, that piece didn't go there, I need to take that out. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily having to dismantle the entire thing every time, but like, like trying things and making it work. I feel like that's kind of what you're going for, right? Yeah. Does this piece work here? Mm-hmm. And if it does, I'm going to keep doing that. And then I'm going to try this piece on top of that. Right. Interesting. That is, um, it's so funny because when I was listening to the Pete podcast about, mm-hmm. about this time last year, I was going through that, that bad relationship. I had two relationships in fact that were bad. <laughs> but one of them. At the same time, and that was part of it. No. It's like, I almost caused it. No, but like, I, was listen- I would listen to an episode, and it would be, like, eerily exactly the episode I needed to listen to. And it mm-hmm. would help me. They would talk about what I was going through, and I'm like, are you talking to me? <laughs> and it just feels like what you said has hit me in a time when that's something that I needed to hear mm-hmm. because of what I'm going through now. And that's why I loved doing the show because it was, like, in a way, because I remember someone told me it was kind of like therapy, and that was gross, and I'm just like... Well, what's wrong with having that with another person? Right. And I think the thing was that I had guests on that just didn't want to have that interaction. They just mm-hmm. wanted to have, like... And I don't want to say superficial in a negative context, but just, you know, like, let's talk about creativity. Yeah. But I feel like guests like you are just like, let's fucking get <laughs> into it, man. Right? I mean, it's the stuff of life. Because anyone... Like, I don't know. It's it's the real shit, you know? Because even even our habits of creativity and making and all of that. It really is, it's, it's, it's something else, you know? It's like the reason why you create, it's not just, just so I can create. Like there's, there is a reason behind everything and it normally goes like five or six layers deep. And I don't know. It comes back to um, Reinhold Niebuhr. We all operate and function on a self-interest. So it all comes back to, again, your personal narrative, like you were saying, like yourself, like who you are, what you define yourself as. And why you do what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I can't think of a single thing that I've created that I was just like, for the art. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not good enough for that. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, everything I've done has had some other kind of thing to help me help me in some way. Which is fine. It's not like bad, but it's like the truth. Yeah. Um, but, and, but, you, but you think about like art and where it gets its value from. And um, this is something I've given a little bit of thought about. Um, so funny. Hey, Paul, come over to, to, to record a podcast and just regurgitate all the shit you've written in your diary. Um, I'm into it. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm this close to reverting by two hours. Like, I don't care, man. <laughs> this is, this is the, the, in my opinion, this is the interactions that I think make life more full. Cause it's just like, yeah, I could go through my day and just like be whatever. But like, it's when you really connect with somebody and like be vulnerable. Like I'm afraid of being vulnerable because I feel like other people aren't on that same place. Right. So I'm like, yeah. It, it feels like you're the only person dancing in the crowd. Exactly. And it's like, just come and dance with me. Just some, I need two or three more people. That's all. Exactly. And then like Gant said, everyone's going to come down the hill. Yeah. Uh, but, but not everyone wants to come down the hill because it's like, I don't know. Being honest with yourself about yourself is so hard. Like, it's almost like a 
I don't know. That idea of keeping it 100 and, look, I'm going to be straight with you, and that is so easy to do nowadays because being honest with somebody else about their behavior, it's like, look, let's have an intervention. It's almost a, it's almost a modern cultural value, mm-hmm. you know? Like, think about reality TV and people that really get applauded for telling it like it is and keeping it real and whatever phrases you want to use for that, but... That's always external. It's like, here, I have this knowledge, and it is time for me to shame you. Like yeah. that phrase, you're doing it wrong. Let me tell you something about you that right. you don't know. Yeah, but no one's like, okay, it's time to be honest with me about my own habits, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, and it can be a little unnerving. To, um, to, to actually do it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and knowing the line between true self-examination and ruminating on here are all my faults and here are all my flaws and and all of that you know because all that negative self-talk it's funny and i want i want to see what you think about this i've noticed that when i'm in a relationship is when that negative self-talk and like but when i'm when i'm not in a relationship and i'm like working towards being better like i do my best work in that field Mm. when i'm alone and i feel like that's kind of like Kind of taking from what you just said, and just saying like, because when I'm in a relationship, it's like you make excuses. You're like, oh, my partner's the reason I'm feeling this. My partner's this. Yeah. But when I'm by myself, it's like, no, I'm doing this, and I'm like, you know, as honest with myself as I need to be. Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely. It's easier when you have someone else. You can, like, because there's the there's like the obvious stuff, and. It's like we talk about how Congress doesn't work well. Mm -hmm. Like the Republicans and Democrats, they don't work like with each other anymore, and everything is really, really divisive. Because that's all. Because all the easy stuff is already taken care of. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like all of that stuff that they came together on and compromised on that was easy, and now that's out of the way. And there is only but so much easy stuff that you can tackle. You know, and then you have the hard issues, which are the things that people don't always agree on. Right, and because yeah, everyone agrees, like traffic should be the way that it is. Mm-hmm. You should have red lights and green lights. And, like that's done. That's been done. But if if like we had to bring back all the easy stuff and like run over it again, we'd be like, yeah, we're all good with that. Right. Or like, let's improve it. Kind of thing. I get. I totally get that. Yeah, and so I don't know. Like I think when you are in a relationship with somebody else, um, but there's that other dynamic of. When you're in a relationship, you not only view yourself as an individual, but you view both of you. Like, you view you and you view your partner as this third entity, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, there's... A team. Yeah. Like, when you... But not even necessarily a team. Like, if you go to any sort of live performance, there's the performers, and then there's the audience, and there's that thing that exists between the two of them that Mm -hmm. is neither... Like, it's this gestalt of... It's greater than the sum of their parts, and it exists... And you can feel it, you know, like you can feel it when the performers are on and the audience is connected and there is some sort of weird electric harmony that's going on that um, that is an entity that is it's, it's a third thing. So when you are in a relationship, even a bad relationship, when you both view yourself in some sort of partnership there is a third thing that exists that colors a lot of your interactions. And for all the, like, you have to make yourself happy and you have to be, like, you have to be self-actualized. And, like, a relationship is, like, almost a, it's a sidecar and it's a bonus to your existence. I mean, that's the ideal, but it's kind of bullshit because you can't, 
you can't bring yourself out of that context when you're in the context. Or it's hard to, at least. Especially as, I guess, it gets more committed. Because when you're married, like, that's... That's, like, all of your identity. Yeah. all of your... Because you live with the person, mm-hmm. and, like, you share everything. So, like, that, that makes it harder to, like, have your own thing, right? Yeah. And it becomes a big source of contention. So, it's like, when I was, um, when I was a kid, and, um... In, in a teenager, like, I wanted to study theater. I was... I went to VCU for theater for, like, six months. And it's like, hey, surprise, we're pregnant. Oh, okay, I guess I'm not gonna be an actor, the thing that I wanted to be for the rest of my life. Um, so... For a long time, I put that that part of me aside, and uh, and I just hit this point where it's like I can't not do this. Like at heart, I am a performer. Not necessarily give me attention, but the idea of crafting a story and telling a story and being being a part of the telling of that story. That's something that really I find a lot of satisfaction out of that, mm-hmm. and so. It was around, it was like 26, 27, where I couldn't take it anymore and started to, you know, audition and then get in shows. And it wasn't a lot. It was like maybe one a year, but I would come home and she would always say, oh yeah, like we, like, where have you been? Or I miss you and all of this. And it's, it's like, I'm not gone an inordinate amount of time and out of the course of any given year, it's not like I'm doing shows constantly. I do one a year, and that's, I don't know, a good two months worth of rehearsals. But even then, it's not every single day. It's just, you're just going to see me less. That's just how it's going to be. And like when I started to assert that aspect of my identity, it became this real source of contention. And um, something that you were and wanted to be was hurtful to this other person right or hurtful to their identity not necessarily identity but their preconception of what something is supposed to be Mm -hmm. you know it's like here's this idea of relationship i have and and it's so funny like uh the last person i dated every time it's almost like in her mind the relationship kept growing but we never had any discussions about long-term commitment and and anything like that so So i think that grew as time spent together right you know, and, and it was just assumed that we were on the same page. And um, and it sucks having to be the one at every turn saying, hold on a minute, like, we didn't talk about this. But, you know, it's like, and you're the one that makes the assumption, but I'm the one that has to feel like I'm a bad guy for saying, it's like, look, we're, I'm not staying in Austin. I can't make this committed relationship and so like what I have to offer I have to offer and I will give you all of myself but at the same time I can't you know I can't guarantee you that I'm going to stay in Texas because I have family in Virginia Mm -hmm. um but yeah so it's like someone has an idea of what a relationship is supposed to be and um it's that idea that elephant you know it's like the blind man and the elephant and you know he's really leathery or he's shaped like a snake it's like everyone has their own perception of what a thing is, especially when they're in it, that they just assume everybody else, um, everybody else adheres to. It's like when someone says, I don't like Star Wars, the big reaction is, what, you don't like Star Wars? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, like they, it means something different to them and, and it doesn't have as much value to them. But then that person who says, what, you don't like Star Wars? Like, for example, doesn't like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 
And they're like, I don't get it. Like, whatever, it's not my thing. But, but wait, Star Wars? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, and so it's like when you're in a relationship, both of you have an idea of what a relationship is supposed to be based on your own personal experience. What you want. Yeah. And also what the media tells you, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you, you model your behavior on things that you, that you see and, and it's constant. Like we spend so much time in front of big screens and little screens and everything. Yeah. Um, and so we model our behavior based on the characters that we see on television. And then we're surprised as fuck when it doesn't work out. You're like, you know, that's why 500 days of summer is one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like on the out, like on its surface, it seems like a romantic comedy. But even at the outset, the narrator says, this is not a romantic comedy. It's like the story of a guy who watched a bunch of romantic comedies and thought that love was supposed to be this thing that he had never experienced before. And then when he like finally meets somebody who he falls head over heels in love with, he puts all these expectations on her that she never even agreed to. And there's this great moment uh, at the end of the film or close to the end of the film where he's kind of mourning the relationship that he once had with this person who he thought was the one. And she sits him down and says, so she told you that she didn't want a boyfriend. She told you that she wasn't like keen on falling in love. And she told you all of these things. And he's like, yeah. She's like, so what's the problem? You know? So like throwing all of your expectations onto something. um, It's, uh, I don't know. It's tricky. Yeah, that. Couldn't relate harder. <laughs> I feel like if like anything I say would just like take away from everything you just said. So I don't. No, it's uh, your perspective. Your your. It's what is that? I heard someone once say, "The universal it lies in the specific." Or there's or one of the two. Like, yeah, the universal it lies in the specific. So if something speaks to you, it's probably gonna speak to somebody else. Like what you just said spoke to me. <laughs> It was, it's funny because I've always been a relationship guy. Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of been my thing is like, I really like being in a relationship. I like cultivating a relationship with somebody, but I can't help but think of probably every single one I've entered, like having expectations Mm -hmm. and I don't have an, and it's funny because it's like, if I didn't spend as much time in front of screens and not necessarily like I have a problem or anything, but like Mm -hmm. what would happen if I had to cultivate my own identity and like be myself and have my own actions and have my own style and all those things. Right. Um, and how would that affect being in a relationship? What if I didn't have any preconceived notions? I would just be spend what I even want to spend time with somebody else. Like, cause it was totally influenced, you know, that you should be in a relationship. Yeah. Um, I never got the feeling like I wanted to be married and have kids, but I just like the idea for whatever reason of having like a partner. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's and and that's really I don't know that's really appealing to me. And but we're social animals. Like we die without human contact. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so we need this sort of thing. It's just where it gets sticky is what that mechanism is supposed to look like. You know, whether it's friendship, relationship, etc. Right. Or even in terms of romanticism and like romantic relationships, like what what is love and what is true intimacy? And, you know, is it this lovey-dovey, this Victorian idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there's a, um, the Victorian idea of love is still pretty new. That idea that the person that, you know, 
the ideal person for you is going to be your best friend and your lover and your partner and the person that makes you laugh and the person that you can dump all your troubles onto and you're going to be together till one of you dies. Like, that's a tall order and no one can really fulfill all of that for you. And have and have you fulfilled them for that for them. Right. That's a big burden to carry. And that's also just like hard to do, mm-hmm. even if you tried. Yeah. And then if you're doing that for somebody, if you're existing for someone else... And the person that you're in a relationship also exists for someone else. Like, where do you find your own time to cultivate love and happiness and peace of mind and anything like that? And, um, but yeah. So. I think that was a big thing that I went, when I, was like, when I went, when I called it my renaissance period. Like, mm-hmm. when I did go through that, it was like, I realized that I wasn't doing those things for myself. Yeah. Like, because you have to be an individual. You have to build yourself up. And then, I mean, I guess the ideal version of a relationship in simple terms is like someone who you like to be around but you can also be away from like if we're gonna break it down to some simple terms then that's not all encompassing but like that's just like a start so like okay so I need to be someone I I need to be happy being away from that person and then I need to find a a space um, where I can find a person that I can find happiness being with yeah and then I think it gets a lot deeper when you're just like, okay, how much can you dump on a person? You know, <laughs> if I have a lot of anxieties, is it like um, they get they get to know about that, or is it like they get to, they have I should keep that from them? Like, but then some people were like, I don't want to hear about that, and some people are like I do want to hear about that, but then some people don't want to tell, share. Some people do want to share, and then it's like finding the way it lines up. That's, yeah, that's a habit I have in relationships. I'm like, tell me all your problems, I'll take them all on. There's this definitely, like, I'm a fixer. Yeah. And I learned it from my mom, too. Like, my dad, um, my dad's an alcoholic, but never an abusive one. He's just, like, they say that when people start their addictions, they're emotionally the age at which they start their addiction. And so all of the life lessons and failures and coping and everything like that that needs to naturally happen, instead of doing that, doing the work, you go back to the substance, whatever that is. And so my dad is a 17-year-old boy, and he, he's 74 now, and he's still 17 years old, emotionally speaking. Um, so my mom was definitely, like, she was the fixer, and everything was kind of on her, and, like, she's... She is a badass woman. Um, but at the same time, I and my brother and my sister, um, like, we all learned to be fixers. Like, if you look at all of my brother's relationships and my relationships, they kind of had this common thread of, like, I will do everything for you, you know? Like, all of that. Because you learn it, but there's also this kind of stoic nobility. It's like, here... I will take all your problems and I will solve them all. Or not necessarily solve them, but it's like, I will share your burden. It's kind of like a Jesus thing to do, too. I will be your source of happiness and goodwill. And through me, you will find peace. Yeah. And and on one one hand, you know, it feels good to make other people feel good or help them feel good. But at the same, but the other side of it is it gets exhausting. And if if it becomes a habit and becomes a crutch, because it definitely became a crutch for me, like, where's the room for your own happiness outside of the context of helping somebody else? And, um, but yeah. And also, I feel like there's a lot to, like, just to go into that, like, not everyone wants help. 
Right. And not everyone should be helped. Some people, you have to go through things for yourself. Like, I don't like help. I don't want people to help me. It's so funny. Like, here, I'll do this. And even as a kid, I was like, no, I can do it myself. You know? So I don't want the help. I want to help others. It's a little selfish. For me, it's like I want the help, but I know that I shouldn't have it. Yeah. I should solve some things on my own, specifically with, like, I guess that, that kind of idea. Um, but that's where vulnerability and trust comes in, mm-hmm. you know? It's like everyone has your primary mode, and then you have your shadow. Like, that part of you that, in the Jungian sense, like, here's all the things that you that you are, and your shadow are all of your hidden desires and wants. But, like, to a lesser degree, you have your the part of you that is very well practiced and the part of you that you express easily. But there's also this part of you that it's in you because the thing also implies its opposite. And so, yeah, it's like you have, if, for example, me, I, I'm one of those people that like, because I love to help and I love for other people to tell me their problems there's a muscle that's atrophied that's like, here, let me tell you about my problems and then let me be vulnerable with you. And it's hard to do, but every time I am, you know, with, with people in my life that I actually, you know, truly trust implicitly, um, it's, you know, it's always like, Oh, I, why don't I do this more often? And every single time, like I have, I kind of like a, like a good probing, honest conversation with someone who I love and trust. Um, it's always like, Oh, why don't I do, why don't I do this more often? It's just, mm-hmm. it, I don't have as much, I don't have as much practice. That's so interesting. I just feel like, yeah, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do ever. Yeah. Like, I mean, even on lower levels, like obviously like that's like the top of the chain, like, but like. I don't know. I guess I, I my thought process kind of went to like daily reactions, mm-hmm. where I'll be like, I'll just be at work, and then my boss will be like, "How was your day off?" And instead of just, <laughs> instead of just saying like it was good, I have to, I feel like I should share something about it. Right, like it's a, a like a compulsion. Like, uh, here's a detail. Yeah, here's a specific. I didn't like that I had to get my tire changed. <laughs> cool, man. And it's just like the need I just want to share you want to connect but like knowing when to do that is definitely rough and I feel I don't know just in relationships too it's just like yeah putting the idea that I'm going to share and you're going to want to hear everything that I say Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're going to want to be you're going to want to be helpful and I think I'm kind of kind of going through something now where it's just like I need to I need to not do that I need Mm -hmm. to kind of fix that shit yeah because it's so bad yeah and it's also I don't know, butting up against other people's neuroses. Uh-huh. Like. That, that, that some people might not even share. Right. But, but, oh, God, sometimes it just leaks out of people, you know? Like, everyone, everyone spills their ego over everybody else, you know? And, and sometimes, like, and people don't like to be called on it. Um, but, but it's also one of those don't judge so much somebody else because you know that you're doing some other bullshit too. And like, that's where, that's where real conversations come and then you have to be invested. So it's like a lot of my relationships are 
Because I grew up not, um, <clears throat> I grew up not expecting to feel good. And so, and I'm very, very shy. And um, I used to, and still do in, in a certain way, manufacture feelings for somebody who I know likes me, you know, because approaching someone that I'm really attracted to, like, that's just crushing to me. Like, oh my gosh, rejection and all that. And it's like, <clears throat> I'm 38 years old and I should like, and I am better than I've ever been about it, but I'm still not where I want to be mm-hmm. in terms of like, yeah, it's like find someone who you're interested in or someone who you're attracted to and you go up to them and then you start to talk about your mutual interests. But it's also really hard to make that jump from small talk into, you can't just you like run up to somebody who you don't know. It's like, hi, you know, I mean, wouldn't even know what to ask. You know, it's like, and I mean, I've talked to, I've talked, I have that same feeling like you don't know where they are. You don't know if they have any interest in you. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know their situation. You don't know where their mindset is. Yeah. Even if they were single, let's say, and they did find you attractive and they did have mutual interest, if they're having a bad day and they just don't want to talk. Right. Like there's so many, there's so many factors you can't judge based off of like going into an interaction. I think that's why I struggle a lot with building interactions with people because it's like, yeah, she looks cool and based off of you know, context clues, she seems to be, I guess, dressed similarly mm-hmm. as somebody who contextually in our in our society would be into this thing that I'm into. Yeah. Art or whatever. And so, like, but I don't know what to say. Right. And, I mean, and that's, I don't know, on, on one hand, you could just say, because, you know, like, I'm, I'm hearing this. It's like, well, you know, well, well what's going to happen? Just go up to him and talk and, and, and. You know, and, and, you know, don't be such a scaredy cat and, and just all sorts of things that people would criticize you for. But when they say that, they don't realize that, like, going back to, it's like, that is part of your identity. It's like, you have all that self-talk of, of, you know, like, I'm not good enough and I'm not, you know, and I'm not, like you know, and I'm a little bit weird, you know, and... And this person is going to think I'm weird. And so if they give you this out and out rejection, that's a confirmation of your fears, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's not just this individual incident of rejection. I'm not afraid of being rejected by that person. I'm afraid of her doing, backing up everything that I've thought and gathered in 26 years of life. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's real painful, man. Yeah. Especially, um, when it's probably, what's probably going to happen. Like when you, cause when you are being real with yourself, you're like, what's probably going to happen is I'm going to go talk to this person and it, it's probably going to end with that conversation. Yeah. Like, so they'll probably be, want to be nice and just have a conversation. That is not worth the risk of being <laughs> like, have all that shit confirmed. Yeah. Even if it's by a stranger, even if it's only a 20 second interaction, not worth it. Yeah. But, but like, but most of that shit's in your head anyway. Like, mm-hmm. so what do you, what do you do about, um, because cause you're 38, mm-hmm. so you've had a lot of, you've had 12 years more, and I'm sure that it's something you thought about a lot, because mm-hmm. it's something I think about a lot. So, like, how how have you tried to combat that? How have you gone about it? I mean, to to be honest, you probably have more experience with that than me, because really? I was, well, I mean, I was married for that 10 years, so that didn't count. Okay, so <clears throat> 30. Yeah. So eight years. Yeah, and then... I was in this three-year weird mindfuck relationship. The liar. Yeah. 
Um, to say the least, um, <laughs> the sex was good. <laughs> of course it was. That's right? how it works. Um, so it's like... Thir- if the sex was bad, you would have stayed. Right, exactly. It's like, <laughs> what, you're cruel and you're manipulative and you yell at me and the sex is bad? Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, why, that's why that's why my kiss of a high of the highest order. That's why the relation, the second bad relationship, only lasted two months. No, oh, there you the go. Sex was bad. <laughs> Not saying her, she was bad. It was just together. It's just a bad. chemistry thing. Chemistry thing. Peanut butter and cheese didn't go well together. Um, <laughs> maybe, girl, maybe. girl, I want to be the cheese to your peanut butter. <laughs> Uh, excuse me? On wheat bread. On wheat, yeah. <laughs> on a finely homemade sourdough. Um, <laughs> on pumpernickel. It's <laughs> a much funnier bread type. Right? Um, okay, so you're um, saying. But yeah, no, it's like I've, and so it was, it was the, you know, if it takes you X amount of years to tangle yourself up in knots, it takes you a considerable amount to untangle, you know, and mm-hmm. so I've. So I lived in Virginia Beach for a long time, and in 2015, it just hit this point where I had to get out. I had to go. I had to leave. I was like, everything was an old memory. Everything was habit, and I didn't realize at the time, because you never do, once you move to someplace else, once you get into a different environment, you really start to uh, separate what is habit from who your genuine self actually is. Can I can I take the analogy of using a, the a nodding yourself? Yeah. It's like having yourself, let's just say it's like a, a one strand of knots mm-hmm. and taking it out of a knot pile that was the same color, so yeah. like everything it's like white shoelaces and putting it into a different pile of shoelaces that would be like blue. Yeah. And so like it's really easy to see what knots need to be undone, especially when you're in a new place. Yeah. Having moved a bunch. Yeah, for sure. And um yeah, and everything is just second nature. I mean, so I haven't really been... How long have you been in Richmond? Um, six months. Really? Yeah. Someone who's been here less time than I have. It's so weird. <laughs> I've been here a year and a half. Okay, sweet. Um, but yeah, no, it's like my really my my true work on myself really began in 2015. So, but, but I guess my perception of a relationship... So it used to be, like, I was that guy from 500 Days of Summer. Like, mm-hmm. like I want to fall in love with this girl, and then we'll do adventures, and then we'll, you know, we'll go dancing, and 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 I'll write her love poems, and, and, and all of that flowery bullshit. And now I view it more as... Um, it's more of a partnership, and so those things that I wanted to do still want to do them, because, you know, it's like I, I do love to dance, and I do like to have, like, really probing discussions and great sex and trips and travel and experiencing new and crazy things. But now I see it as more of like, I am on a certain trajectory and a path and a journey. And I am interested in spending time with people that are on the same kind of journey. That is so like hitting the knee with a baseball bat accurate. <laughs> cause like I think about, cause the relationship I had before this bad one, it was two and a half years, mm-hmm. and it was like we were in the same place. We were growing together. We were that was when my my friends always told me like if you're not growing together, you shouldn't be together. Yeah, and like we had just found each other at the same stage and just helped each other grow. And like I became way more of an adult, and so did she. And it was just like when we ended, it was like we need to grow apart now. Yeah, and it was so beautiful. And like getting in those other relationships was like you are not in the same place I am at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big cause of like anxiety that I have. It's like you are not where I am. And I'm trying to make myself your equal, yeah. and that is not where I am, and that is like 
fucking my shit up. Right. But then if you find someone who's below where you are, it's like, I can't deal with that because I've already been there and I need to be here. Yeah. And I feel like that is like the biggest thing that I have been thinking about or needed to hear with my current situation. Mm-hmm. Like, I need, I need to be where I am and not try to be anywhere else. Right. And then like, <clears throat> I don't know, that the, the difficulty that comes in with, it's like, yeah, if you're with someone who is up here versus down here in terms of what you think of your personal growth and development, or like you can say, your practice as a creator. Like I look at some people and they make art all the time and and I look at that and I'm like, I want to be that. You know, it's like I want to be the person that is constantly creating and, you know, I know how to do some stuff. Like I know how to make cool shit with computers and I, you know, I know how to tell a good story and I can write a little bit and like I can do all these things. I'm like a... I don't know. I'm like a Swiss army knife that can cut down a, a large tree. Um, but I'm still not one of those, like I cannot cut down a redwood with my skills. Um, and, and it's not necessarily this daily habit of creation, but you have some people like they're artists and they're all about their art. And part of me, you know, knows that what they're presenting is, isn't like that's a result of all the inner turmoil and stuff that they're working out and so it's like yeah they have their bad days just like everybody else and it's like you don't know what somebody else is going through all you can see it is through your own lens and sometimes and and i mean artists artists like really really good ones are so well practiced at making a thing that other people experience that they apply the same trade craft to their own persona so that you like their persona is a thing that is just as equally and as well crafted as their art. And so you never see any of their vulnerabilities or their dark moments. And they've, I don't know, it's like once you, it's that idea of things being second nature. When you were first learning how to drive, it was like, uh, 10 and 2, and these people are coming around like from, from all angles, and I'm gonna die and going on the interstate. And then now, you know, you could take a cross-country trip and it wouldn't be a thing. Like, your car is an extension of who you are. And I think that um, doing the thing that you love to do and doing the thing that you really, really work on towards gaining a sort of peace of mind, one of the ancillary benefits is that you work that same magic on your own persona. So where you don't have to constantly think about where to metaphorically put your hands, you know, it's like, you just are your, your person, even though you still go through the same shit. Um, but yeah, so. That's so interesting. And I feel like the thing with driving, you had to do it. You yeah. had to keep, keep <laughs> trying to right? do it. To it's get optional for it. art. Yeah. You, I don't have to make anything. I don't have to play music. But I, but then, but then, when I'm not playing music, I'm like, I want to be in a band. I want to be this or that. I want to be good at making music. Yeah, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. I have to like keep doing it to the point where it's like an extension. This guitar is an extension. I'm not like trying to figure out what notes to play. I'm like, I know what notes to play. It's just applying my persona or what I'm feeling or this thought or this idea into through the vessel. Right, and it's, and it's one of those things. It's like, so. Money derives its value from the fact that we all agree that it has a value. Yes. Right. <clears throat> and it's the same thing with cultural, like cultural items. It's like 
the only reason why any given piece of music or art or anything has what we would consider value is because we all agree it does. And what makes us agree that it all has value is we take our perception of that thing, like what I get out of a painting or a piece of music is specifically what I get out of. And because there is, there's that personal filter of your personal experience and your interpretation, it's like you create the piece of art internally. And so you have some ownership in that. So if value of art is created by the act of you reinterpreting that art, that also means that as an artist, once you have created and put that art out into the world, it no longer belongs to you entirely. Yeah. So that means that the only time that the art could have any true, the only time you have any true control over it is when you're actively created it, creating it in the moment. Mm-hmm. So. I will also say that if you were to, so for example, if I was to put out a song. Yeah. Let's say. And other people listen to it and they de- determined what they valued it and what they meant to them. And I still had it. It still means that to me, but now that it exists outside, is what you're saying, like yeah, it's two now. Now it's two completely different things. Absolutely, it's like it's, um, it's like bands when they'll make a song in the studio, but yet they take a song on tour. It's like bands will tell you that they have to learn how to play this song live. Because there's a lot of additions. But my favorite band does that a lot, and it's just like you can't play that live. Because of there's so, there's too many sounds like that they're mm-hmm. just not, but and there's something really I think beautiful about that. I love hearing different versions. Like no, you can't get the same drum effects. You can't get you can't possibly play hit three things at once. Right. Because you can only hit two. Well, even outside of a technical outside of the technical realm, it's like you have to like there's the audience aspect of it. You know, it's like learning how to play a song, the same song. It could be like you're sitting in the acoustic guitar versus like you're in the studio versus uh, playing two people. Mm-hmm. There's the energy that you get from the audience that changes how you play the song. And the song in the studio exists in a different, like almost entire realm than it does when you are playing it live. And that's how you have to kind of, you have to learn how to play it and you have to learn how to cooperate with the band and you have mm-hmm. to learn how to like take the energy <laughs> of the audience. I feel like, yeah, I feel like there's something, cause my, 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 the band I like just put out a new album mm-hmm. and like I've listened to all the live versions and the studio and like they're two different things. And I think kind of what you said, like they created, they fashioned this song. And if you look at like the tracking, there's like 20 different things. Yeah. But on stage there's two Two guitars, a bass, a vocals, and drums. Yeah. And then, like, some piped-in sounds that just belong with, like, mm-hmm. how to make the song the song. So I feel like that's... Yeah, there's, they're two different things, completely. Who, who's your band? It's Fall Out Boy. Okay. Which I don't feel as shameful. Normally, I do. No, you should. <laughs> but you like what you like. I like what I like. But you're saying that that's what I determine as good. And, like, I love the new album they put out a lot. And mm-hmm. so it's just, like... um, Yeah. Listening to them play the song, like, in the studio, it's like, it's just intense, and it's, like, well done, it's like, this is beautiful, mm-hmm. and then the live version's like, this is, like, raw, and, like, it's so different, and my favorite thing is, like, watching them tour, or, like, seeing the different live performances at different times, like, watching one song just change over years, like, yeah. they continue to edit it, and it's like, they perfect it, and, like, if they were to redo it in the studio, it'd be so different. Yeah, like, nothing, nothing is ever, nothing is ever perfected, because... 
constantly evolving. Yeah. As as humans are. That's why I don't I don't believe in a complete originality. Mm-hmm. It's like you didn't. Um, you didn't. You didn't invent the G chord. Yeah, but also it's like you you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your country of origin. You didn't choose anything about your genetics. You know, it's like you know you didn't choose how intelligent you are. You didn't choose. You don't choose how you age. Mm-hmm. You know, and you and you definitely can't choose how other people respond to you. And so all of those things that influence a piece of art, even though yeah, like it comes from a genuine place. I think originality doesn't exist, but but authenticity does. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, so here's this thing and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely trying to authentically take something that is a part of me and then make it external using the trappings of, of modern art. Cause the only thing, cause like imagine giving somebody a guitar and putting them in a room, a newborn person mm-hmm. and just finding a way to raise them to a person and saying that now make a song. Yeah. And they're like, what's a song right and so like so many bands are influenced by their songs so like you're going to hear influences that like that so like i said there's no true originality it's just being authentic with like this is me Mm -hmm. these are my influences and this is what happens when i try to make something yeah yeah i feel like i feel like people aren't okay with that i'm not okay with that Mm -hmm. because i'm like it's not good enough like no no one wants no one wants to to see this in song <laughs> form, for example. So like, trying trying to move move past that like fence, mm-hmm. and then and explore what's in that yard is just like I think is a, is a struggle that probably a lot of people go through. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's harder even today because it's it's one of the tools of the marketplace, mm-hmm. the illusion of originality. Yeah. You know, because if something is original. That means that it is worth all of this money and it is worth your time and it is worth your money that you have to part with. Like, that's that's the sales pitch, right? Yeah. Like, this is, you've never seen anything like this, therefore you need to, you know, put down some coin, you know, to experience this thing that we've made. But if there is no true originality in the way that they sell it to us, then the, like, the, the people that... Like the gatekeepers have automatically less power, and so they need to shove that idea down our throats so hard that we do believe it, and then we end up creating so much internal anxiety because we 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 need to make this thing because as creators, it's like what is meant to be consumed for other people is to be created for us. You know, it's like we are supposed to be the people that are creating these things. We're not just someone that sits and. And just consumes the thing, mm-hmm. you know? And so when we want to make what we see, if what we see is in part an illusion an illusion, and a sales pitch, it's a big source of anxiety. I think that's one of the reasons why improv is so attractive to yeah. me. It's because it's like... The expectations are are nil, right? Like at most, it'd be like we want the the, the expectation is that it's funny, mm-hmm. but like especially doing like refinery and like being in classes and doing like vibes or whatever, like the the stuff that people expect you to kind of fail. Like we're still working on it. Yeah. Like just being able to like what happens when I put when I put myself out there and my worst sets are the ones where I'm not vulnerable. Yeah. But the, when I am vulnerable or or I'm just being myself and having fun, like I don't even have to like give them something I just have to like be authentic yeah and authenticity and vulnerability are the two things that I think make it really good and those are and the, and the encourages that and it's like 
that's kind of we've been looking for a safe space to do those things and it's like oh I get to do that now right and, and that's why I love it so much and no one goes it's like I don't know you even go to like a stand up routine and you go for a product like John Mulaney is his product mm-hmm. he's a damn good product but the product of improv as from like a let's go see a show point of view is the experience you know, the experience of seeing it. And if it's great, so much the better. And if it's not that great, you you know, you still witness something that was completely made up on the spot mm-hmm. and incorporates so many different things like the weather and what's happening in the world and what's happening within the individual performers and, like, the relationships that the performers have to each other, you know? And what's what I find so delicious is a little bit of awkwardness. Not... To experience it, of course. But yeah. yeah, but 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 you know, I don't know. Sometimes you can tell that if two people on a team were dating, or maybe they slept with each other, or something like that, and 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 it makes it in there some way, shape, and form, and it colors it just a little bit. But you don't necessarily need to know that. But that I don't know. You believe that something was going on between those two? Yes. It, yeah. It it definitely adds something to it. And it adds something to the experience, and you go for that experience. I try, I, it's hard to think because I've seen so many shows after seeing classes. Like the first show I saw, like trying to think about it, like, yeah, it might not have been the best, but I, I still think about it like that was like a really great show. Yeah. And like anyone who's there, like gets like an A plus, like regardless if the performance was that or not. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's definitely, I, I guess a good way to put it. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite show I ever saw, I ever done seen. Um, so there's a there's a theater in Norfolk mm-hmm. called the Push. So there are these guys called the Pushers, and they um, they are a bunch of uh, they met in the ODU theater department, mm-hmm. and they did a bunch of sketch comedy, and now they do a lot of improv shows, and they're like the improv theater in Virginia Beach or in Norfolk. Um, and uh, and I saw a show one time, and I don't even remember the plot or the jokes, but I do remember a sense of everyone was on, everyone was open, the audience was totally receptive, there was like this wonderful, it was like this crackly energy in the room, and um, yeah, and it's that feeling, and and you could tell they felt it too, like Mm -hmm. they were really, really into it, you know, and so um, that feeling of you have buy-in, the audience has buy-in, you're all totally open, and um, and it's like that uh, that concept of the hot hand, you know, mm-hmm. in basketball, where it's like, yeah, it's like you, you, you score a joke, and then you score another joke, and then you're just on a roll. And you just keep setting each other up, or getting set up, and just keep hitting it. Hitting yeah. It. Yeah. Because cause at that point, it becomes fun, you know? When you see people having fun on stage. Right. There was one set specifically. It was like a big boss's set or something like that. I just remember, um, I forget. I can't think of his name. Um, he came out and he said a word wrong. Mm-hmm. And normally, and I think someone on our level would just be like, I'm going to sidestep that and yeah. just like focus on the scene. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. They kept saying words wrong. And the, whole, <laughs> the whole bit was just them like messing up words. Oh, God, that's and great. I, I died. It was so good. And like they were obviously having a great time. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it's one of those scenes that really sticks out. Um, I can't think of his name that's bothering me, but it was just the funniest. And it was like true, it was real. And I think that's another thing that is very appealing about improv. Because like with music, obviously, like 
that's one of the reasons I feel don't like a lot of people who make music is like mm-hmm. there's nothing in that. There's no emotion. There's no vulnerability. There's no authenticity. You're making music yeah. like, to make music, mm-hmm. and I think that's why certain people are drawn to certain bands and stuff like that. And again, improv, like because you do see those two things. And I feel like that is like the best way that you could have quantified it. Yeah, and it really I guess it comes back to that idea, that idea of the relationship. You know, mm-hmm. like when your relationship, you have yourself, and you also have the relationship, mm-hmm. and you're trying to. Walking, you're walking the wire between the other person and fulfilling their needs and then being authentic yourself. And then, you know, and so when you are in a performance, it's like you don't ignore the audience, which is the relationship in the metaphor. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you are still fully yourself. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard place to get to. Yeah, because... Oftentimes, especially going on stage without experience or really feeling comfortable, you're you're like, I have to be funny, I have to kill, I have to make them laugh. Yeah. But realistically, you just have to be yourself. Yeah. The scene will build itself. And then, you know, take advantage. I mean, obviously, it's not just like, I can do anything on stage to be funny, (laughs) but like, there has to be some kind of effort put in, but I mean, that's effort in a relationship. You can't just like, I'm going to hang out and you're going to love me. It's like, I have to put in effort to like, but it has to be authentic, genuine kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird... um... I mean, I've like this. The, the first, like, my first improv class was in the fall. Mm-hmm. I'd never done it before, and um, yeah, it's it's a different mode entirely, and it's it's a beautiful thing, you know. Because and it's one of those things that, like, the thing that I've um, so I've got this friend in Florida, and I knew her when we were both really into film, and she wants to be a screenwriter, um, and you know, we had a falling out, and we recently reconnected. And, um, you know, she's asking me all these questions about how, like, you know, well, do you want to pursue film and do you want to pursue all these things? And honestly, I'm not really so concerned about pursuing any one individual thing and making it my thing. But I really am interested in exploring, like, everything that's out there. You know, mm-hmm. it's like having a variety of rich experiences and, and experiences where you can use the experience to inform yourself like about yourself. It's like you, you know, it's almost like X a number of X percent of the ocean is unexplored. You know, I feel that that's the same way just about every individual. It's like no one explores themselves. I mean, realistically. So like, yeah, so like, I'm like, I need to, I need to have a thing. I need to be a musician or I need to be a comedian. I need to have a thing. I need to invest all my time so I can be the best. Yeah. Instead of just saying like, I'm going to do improv because improv has been really fun and I'm having a lot of fun experiences. Yeah. And then maybe I want to improv in a year. Maybe I'll want to, you know, do a thing, another thing. I don't know. I don't know who knows what that thing is, but like just being open to these experiences and like you said, having a full having a full bag of like, oh, I did that once. And when you meet those people, we're like, yeah, I spent two years doing this. And they're like, okay, well, I did this. I, I spent two years doing this, or I took a class on this, or I taught a class on this, or I, having all these experiences rounds you out. Yeah. And I feel like I used the rounding out um, earlier, and I feel like that's like really backing it up. Yeah. I feel like round, being, being more fleshed out is like, should be the goal. Absolutely. Because, I mean, it's like, what's the point of existence, right? Like, I... I don't believe in an afterlife. Mm -hmm. Um, So that means that when it's over, it's over. And 
So if you think that, then what's the purpose of being human? You know, it's like is getting as much peace of mind as possible. And for me, that's knowing what every chocolate in the box tastes like, you know, like really, really absorbing it. You know, and I would hate to die not knowing whether that one chocolate contains nougat or toothpaste. <laughs> I'm here for a good time, not a long time. That's right. But, but I mean, it's not even like that surface level distraction. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's like, let's really, really go deep. Um, yeah, do it. You what, know, what's, what's deeper than chocolate? What's deeper than chocolate? <laughs> Dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, so I, I went off to Austin um, and my goal for going off there was to get a little bit more professional discipline. So you moved there in 2015? Yeah. For a year? For two years. Two years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, but instead I found more of myself. Like I didn't, I didn't cultivate better work habits, but I definitely got a lot more confidence in my work and yeah, like the relationships that I've made and the, the, the things that I experienced, um, I did like psychedelics for the first time. Um, How's that? Ugh, it's great. It's like they're the drugs that people use to invent God, and so if you use it as um, a shortcut to enlightenment, like you can use that, and you you know you take it with a grain of salt, right? It's like it's the experience itself. It's not. Um, it's not the thing itself. Um, and it's not for partying with, so though sometimes you can, you know, mm-hmm. like, but yeah, it's, it's like one of those things that if it's really, really hard to take this clock apart and look at it all, if you take psychedelics and try to take that clock apart, it's like you're a Swiss craftsman. I just picture what I thought before you said that was like, you take psychedelics and it's like, just like throwing the clock in the ground and like everything <laughs> just comes apart. And you're like, all right, let's find the pieces, man. Right. Well, if you have a bad trip, um, <laughs> I can't find the second hand. <laughs> How fast is it going? I don't know. Right. Um, no, that's odd. The, the psychedelics is something. I'm not. I'm definitely not. Drugs scare me mm-hmm. because it's like. Because you, you're a product of the dare generation. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> true. More probably true that. I think to add on to that, it's like um, my biological father was an alcoholic. Yeah. So I'm terrified of becoming like addicted. Like I didn't right. start drinking until I was 25 because mm-hmm. I was so afraid. Yeah. And so like I don't know what could happen. I never ever want to try any like the hard ones, like the ones that are like that will ruin your life. I would never inject anything. That's exactly. fucking yeah. But I've always thought like a hallucinogen, mm-hmm. like that would be something that I think I would be on board with because like especially hearing Pete Holmes talk about it, like how wonderful of an experience and how it really just like changes your perspective oh yeah for sure and and well hopefully in a positive way but like either way a change of perspective is a big deal yeah and i feel like i just i just need a good change of perspective yeah if if you're if you're looking to knock something loose and you're ready to really see what like if you're really if you're really ready to Experience and see whatever it may bring, you know, like as opposed to because that's that's where a lot of people come with a lot of anxiety is you want a good experience. And so the moment that you're not having a good experience, it's a bad one. yeah. And so and it's almost like that. Um, if you're trying not to like if you're walking a tightrope and as opposed to just being one with the tightrope and the balance beam, you're like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. 
like saying that to yourself, it's probably going to make you fall. And so it's like, I have to have a good time, have to have a good time. And so the more, the more you feel yourself not having a good time, the more anxiety sets in for like, I must have this good time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, just, just let go and, and realize that a good time is not necessarily anything's goal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, there are times where I'll be anxious just because I'm anxious. Right. And like, you're having a bad time because you were thinking you're having a bad time. Not because anything bad happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's real. That, 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 that's an old part. Yeah. It's it's a little poisonous. I don't trust people that don't have at least a little bit of anxiety. Yeah. Right. Like what? It's like, where, where are you hiding it? Right. Or they're just simple. You know, it's like some people are like, cause my grandmother, my grandmother is the, the nicest person that you would ever care to meet ever. Um, but she was also one of the most simple people. Like she was alive during world war two. Um, and her husband was a shipbuilder. And so they would go up to New York all the time. And even after the war, um, they would go up and they would see Broadway shows all the time. And so they, like my grandmother saw the first run of guys and dolls and South Pacific and, um, and Oklahoma. And I asked her about these experiences and she goes, well, you know, we saw the plays and they were good. And that's all that she had to say about them. She was just a very simple person. And I feel that a lot of people, a lot of people like they have simple needs and they enjoy simple pleasures and they have a lot of unearned confidence and ignorance is bliss, man. Unearned confidence. That's real. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like, um, that's something that I get caught in occasionally mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll bring myself down but then you build yourself up and it's like right on different levels for sure I don't know I mean it's not it's definitely not ma- malicious to have that to be in a space like that oh yeah I mean and like I don't I envy those people I envy those people that I can uh, that um so I used to work for South by Southwest mm-hmm. and the kinds of people that you would get and they would come and they would say, you know, it's like, here's my get rich quick scheme or here's how I did this. And just standing up there, like as if they have the answer, it's like, no, they stumbled across their answer. A potential answer. Right. But it only works really for them. And that's why they're up there in the chair. And then you forked out a thousand dollars to sit in that seat. You know, it's like, it's because their thing worked for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> not necessarily going to work for you. I think a lot of people look. Um, outwards for mm. answers oh, yeah. instead of just like what, what, what would work for me what would make what would make me happy yeah because no one wants to try to reinvent the wheel yeah, they're like I want to use his example if I just do that then I'm good right like there's all a... I gotta do is just make YouTube videos so for video game commentary and I'll be, like, I'll be rich <laughs> in like 20 minutes it'll be great <laughs> Uh, there's a guy, uh, Tim Ferriss, the, he, like with the four hour work week and the four hour body and like listening to, yeah, just listening. Like he's got some really, really great insights into creating and living your life. But at a certain point, you know, even like just, just for me and, you know, even with the people that I, I really, really agree with at a certain point, it doesn't scale. You know, it's like, because, well, I have, I have all this other set of stuff that I need to do first before I get to someplace where I can try what you came up with on your own or whatever. And with him, you can tell that it's the joy of coming up with these things, not the results that they give him. And uh, Yeah, I've often found that, just as an example, I move my room out a lot. Mm, um, you do. It's the best. 
And the most fun is trying to find the new way. Mm-hmm. And then, because this is, this is a new setup. I'm digging it. So, but like... It's a power position. After a while, you're like, I'm tired of this whole something new. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the making the new one. It's the planning. It's like, oh, okay, let me get my sticky note and let me start drawing and let me figure out like where the bed can go. It can't go <laughs> in certain places. It can't block the doors. It can't... Like, can't well, it? No. <laughs> and then like having, yeah, like there's just so much that goes into it. And yeah, the, the journey... I don't know, there's, there's so much, I think there's just so much power in the experience, like you were saying. Yeah. Wow. Indeed. This is going to be one of those episodes that I listen to again. <laughs> I don't listen to, like, any of them. I've listened to, like, three and out of 24. Oh. You're 24. Sweet. Yes. So Magic number 24. <laughs> How'd you feel about it? Loved it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, this was great. Great. I'll have to have you on. Uh, the rule is 14 episodes, then you can come on again. All right, sweet. <laughs> so see you in... I accept your rules. <laughs> see you in four months. All right. Um, so I... Yeah, I figured it was just about... I don't want to take too much of your time. Yeah, I got to get back to... I got a project, but... Uh, I do appreciate you coming. So I don't know how to end shows, but I do come... Because, like, Pete has the, the perfect way to end the show. Mm. Say this funny catchphrase, and no matter what happens afterwards, we fade. Yeah. We laugh and fade. Mm. I don't want to just copy... So I've come up with something that we kind of talk about and then eventually just say bye. Yeah. Um, what's the weirdest thing in my room? I have a lot of menagerie and knickknacks, and uh, I like to see what people what catches people's eye. Weird, right, you here know, we go. in your own kind of context. But um, and I, I will veto if it's been said before. All right. Wow. Um, I mean, nothing really strikes me as odd or strange. I mean, I, I enjoy your decor. Um, I gotta say the whiteboard. The whiteboard, that's a new one. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I assume it's um, NFL teams? Yep. Okay. NFL teams and their records. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally have a whiteboard in my room uh, that uh, keeps... Uh, Win-loss records mm-hmm. of football teams. There's something to me so beautiful about uh, the analog. Yeah. Ness, because um, I can just look it up on my phone. NFL standings. I can ask, you know, the Amazon toy that I won't mm-hmm. say the name of because it'll pop up. I can ask Siri, like. But there's something to me just like so beautiful about like every day, every week, mm-hmm. I would just like a race, and that's a shitty whiteboard, so I have to like really press <laughs> to a race. You see the smears. That's because it's I so do. it's so terrible. You're working hard on that. You're like this. It's a. <laughs> but so my desk used to be in that corner. Uh-huh. That's why the whiteboard's there specifically. Like it used to be like right here mm-hmm. where the desk was. So for me, it was just like something. Just having that intentional, like this thing that I kind of set aside that I take time for, was was really the main influence. And also, of course, having the ease of being like, wait, okay, yeah, they're they're three and thirteen or whatever. Like, I didn't, I can't remember it, but just like, and also kind of keeping up with like, just being intentional about it. I think mm-hmm. that was the the thought process behind it. Like, I like this because it's part of what I do. Yeah, I dig that very much. So, like, I'm very, I'm very much about my physical things. Like, I have tons and tons of notebooks. Yeah, and just feeling the notebooks and writing in them and having them. It's like, I love and I've always loved paper. I love paper, and I used to love making maps. Like, as a kid, I would make maps of the neighborhood on, like, ruled notebook paper. And one time I went into a library, and on the wall, they had, like, a 10-foot by 10-foot map of just my zip code, and I lost my shit. I was like, oh, my God. It's like, and I did the map right, and I found my house, and it, uh, yeah, it was very very satisfying. (laughs) That's the coolest thing ever. I wish I was in the paper. Um... (laughs) As you were. 
All right, well, do you have anything you want to plug? Huh? No. I, I included your social media website on the episode description. Sweet. No, I mean, I just, it's weird. Like, I came back from Austin, and honestly, i just been hiding out. Um, yeah. And kind of play, keep playing it cool, keep it low. Keep it. I'm never gonna be cool, but <laughs> but I've been no, I've been I've been back and forth. So it's like a, my boys live in Virginia Beach, and I'm there like almost every single weekend. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a new place and you're not spending weekends at that new place, it can be hard to kind of get uh, get mm-hmm. your footing. So how old are your boys? Uh, Sixteen, and my uh, youngest is gonna be fourteen. Do, do they ever come up here? Occasionally, but they're so busy in school that it's Weekend, like yeah. practices and yeah, rehearsals. Sim- seeing how busy my siblings are, it's mm-hmm. like I was never that busy as a kid. I did nothing to do. Right, I did fuck all when I was a kid. <laughs> like, and looking back, I'm like, gee, I could have done anything. I could have like started a band or taught myself how to play guitar earlier or just like more the like ah, the missed opportunities I had when I was a youth. You literally, you're you basically just said something I've probably said before. Not only in terms of. I wish I had done more when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I also use the term youth yes. to describe. <laughs> I was a scrappy young lad uh, in my younger days. In my days. All right, well, I guess that's it. Like I said, I don't know how to end it. So All right, cool. That's it. Take it easy. Oh, that was too smooth.